Thank you very much for that warm welcome. I uh, must say I'm very pleased to be in such good company today. I uh, wrote a speech uh, last week which I propose to uh, read to you today. And uh, the first opportunity I've had to try it on anyone was this morning when I read it to my wife, Abigail, who's here in the second row, I might say, one of my best friend and most uh, significant critic for 43 years. And uh, she said, this speech stinks. <laughs> and uh, she said, uh, uh, tear it up and start over. So I did that this morning. And although it'll not be as well organized, I do hope it'll be more directly from the heart, which is what she uh, advocated. Now, the driving uh, motivation that I think all of you know who are in science is really, a, is really curiosity, wondering why are things like this and why aren't they like that and how do they get to be that way. And uh, uh, so, so certainly curiosity is, I think, the most driving single motivation for those of us who are scientists or wish to be scientists. And I was very inspired by Dr. Schaller's uh, 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 remarks a few uh, a few uh, uh, minutes ago, an hour or two ago, on his uh, uh, the role of curiosity in his uh, in his life, working with the living uh, animals and living substances. And my curiosity is of somewhat different character. It refers more to the uh, what we call the physical world as contrasted to the biological world. And uh, that is the has in and has been the driving motivation in my life uh, since uh, I was a rather young uh, boy uh, trying to understand how things work. So I thought today I would uh, tell you something about some of the great achievements of space science uh, and of the uh, some of the unsolved problems that we can easily visualize, uh, problems which challenge the best uh, brains, the best minds that the human race can produce. Now, the uh, field of uh, exploration of the planets in practical terms dates from, uh, at least by my reckoning, uh, from 1962 or thereabouts, when we first sent the first uh, spacecraft to another planet, or another planetary body. And that was to sent to Venus, Mariner 2, which went to Venus in 1962. I'm happy to say it, it, I had one of the uh, experimental packages on board this, which was quite successful. That was the first planetary mission. We've had a large number of planetary missions since then, and we have uh, uh, shared that field uh, with uh, the Soviet Union, who have been, in some senses, neck and neck with our investigations. Let me just say a few special points by example about Pioneer 10, which our chairman kindly mentioned earlier on. Uh, Pioneer 10 was launched in 1972, March 1972. It's over, eight, uh, over 16 years old in flight. It, at the present time, is the most remote man-made object in the universe. It's over 43 astronomical units from the sun, one astronomical unit of distance being the average distance of the Earth from the sun. So it is 40, over 43 times as far away from the sun as we are here on the Earth. At that distance, the intensity of sunlight is down by a, a factor of 43 squared, or about one part in 1600. So the sun is already becoming relatively dim. This is equivalent to 4 billion miles from the Earth. 
I might tell you a little uh, side story. When, this, uh, when our apparatus was being delivered, we built this at the University of Iowa in the late 19, uh, 1969 and 1970s. We were delivering the apparatus to the Ames Research Center, and, and it was being checked by the quality control man there. And each of us was given a pair of white gloves, so we didn't. We, <laughs> the apparatus was uh, gold-plated, very uh, beautifully prepared. Uh, so that it would not uh, corrode in, uh, during its lifetime. And uh, while the quality control man turned his back, I just took off my uh, glove, licked my finger, and put my fingerprint on this uh, piece of gold-plated piece of apparatus we were delivering. So I'm proud to say that my fingerprint is now about four billion miles away. LAUGHTER <laughs> I understand that uh, Mr. Sessions is here from the FBI, and I don't know if he'll want to check that or not. <laughs> now, if, if he'll bring it back, we'll uh, submit it for a check. Yeah. Uh, this uh, uh, spacecraft has a 10-watt transmitter. It's about the, uh, the power, the uh, transmitted power of a, of a large flashlight bulb. We are receiving 32 bits per second on a daily basis. This spacecraft is powered by a nuclear isotope generator. It is totally independent of the sun. We can turn off the sun. It wouldn't matter at all to the spacecraft, although it would make a difference to those who are working with the data. Now, five years ago, uh, Pioneer 10 passed uh, beyond the uh, orbit of Neptune. At, at this present epoch, as some of you who know about astronomical matters will note, uh, Neptune is more distant from the sun than Pluto during the 20-year period, 1979 to 1999, so that uh, passing the uh, distance of Neptune is, by some people, been interpreted as going beyond the solar system. That is only a popular perception and is not a true uh, description of the matter at all. Now, a, uh, Pioneer 10 made the first ever encounter with the planet Jupiter. It passed uh, previous to that through the asteroid belt of the sun successfully, which was a great challenge and an unknown uh, a hazard of unknown magnitude. Uh, we uh, got through that without incident. We made the first uh, flyby of Jupiter. We went on and have been on a solar, escape, solar system escape trajectory since that time. Pioneer 11, the immediate uh, uh, successor, uh, made the second flyby of Jupiter, the first flyby of the planet Saturn, and, uh, and, and it enlarged our knowledge of both of these planets immensely. Now, uh, the two uh, follow-on missions, Voyagers 1 and 2, I have uh, followed in the same track and have greatly enlarged our knowledge of both of the uh, Jovian and uh, Saturnian system. Uh, Voyager 2 made the first encounter with Uranus, in uh, uh, January 1986, only a few days before the uh, uh, violent explosion of the Challenger, the disaster of the Challenger. It was a, is a, is a, a, a superposition of events which uh, had a great deal of poignancy to it. Now, let me just say we've now found out that not only does the Earth have an enormous radiation belt which com is comprised of energetic charged particles, uh, trapped in the magnetic field, the external magnetic field of the Earth. But we've now found by these, uh, virtue of these recent explorations that Jupiter has an enormous radiation belt, far more intense, 10,000 times as intense as that of the Earth and of enormously greater uh, proportions and dimensions. Saturn also has a huge radiation belt despite the existence of its ring system. Uh, Uranus has a huge radiation belt. 
We will find out with good luck about Neptune on the 25th of August 1989, a little over a year from now. We've also investigated the, uh, with the moon, we, which is uh, not is inert magnetically. The moon, Venus, Mars, and uh, Mercury are, are inert magnetically. We have only, as of a year and a half from now, we will have not explored only one uh, planet of the solar system, namely Pluto. So these are a few examples. I'd be very pleased to have questions. I think we have formulated, we have ha we've lived through a, uh, I think, a truly, and I don't use that word lightly, a truly unique period in human history. I belong to a, 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 an age group of scientists who had the first opportunity to really send their equipment to other planets, to other worlds, and make direct exploration. There will never be any successors of ours who will be the first ones to be able to do that. Now, I'd be very happy to uh, respond to questions, sir. With all your experience in um, the field of space exploration, I was wondering, for people that are interested, I guess ever since like fifth grade when you, they used to show pictures of the planets in textbooks and little odd facts about it, I've always been interested. What, what areas within the field of um, like space exploration and with NASA or other agencies would you suggest or that are open or maybe um, will open up even more in the future? Yes, well, let me try to respond to that. Uh, uh, of course, the, uh, the field of planetary exploration, as I perhaps have already indicated, is my most keen interest. And, and let me just say a few things about that uh, as an example in response to your question. Um, of course, every planet is a new world, like Mars is a totally new world, so to speak. It has uh, unique properties, different than those of any other planet. In the case of Mars, it has two known satellites, Phobos and Deimos. It has uh, been investigated uh, in a preliminary, but a rather thorough, but po a thoroughly preliminary, thorough but preliminary way, with a number of missions, both U.S. and Soviet missions. We know quite a bit about it, but there's so many things we would like to find out, and uh, I can illustrate that I think by considering the geology of the Earth. The geologists are those who have the, perhaps the greatest interest in uh, in Mars, and uh, when you consider the number of man years of uh, intensive geological study that has been given to the Earth, you can realize that here we have a totally new planet to work with and there's no limit to the, the amount of uh, detailed and significant um, um, understanding that one can contribute by detailed investigation. That's one example. Now, if we take the, uh, the gaseous planets such as uh, Jupiter, which is an almost entirely gaseous in nature, has no solid surface, is a totally different object in the universe. Uh, we we're trying to find out what the composition of Jupiter, what it's made of, what the structure of its, of its <coughs> upper atmosphere is, uh, what the structure of its uh, inner, inner, uh, inner structure is, uh, how, why, where does it get its magnetism that makes it possible to have a radiation belt? These are some of the gross, uh, simple questions. So then in my view, and that sort of response to your question, in the field of planetary exploration alone, there is no visible limit to the, uh, to the realm of curiosity and that, we, that we can give rein to. Um, I, I might uh, sort of add to that that, of course, a part, one of the important parts of planetary exploration is the search for any conditions conducive or um, permissive for life anywhere else in the universe. And the answer, of course, is a very strong no at the present time. It's not a final no, it's a tentative no at the present time. Thank you, Doctor. Y yes. I'd like to know 
how you think that we should continue the process of exploring the solar system, specifically manned or unmanned missions, and if unmanned, if it, they should be more complex type, like Voyager spacecraft, or more simple, say, measuring one element at a time space trip? Well, that's a very good uh, body of questions. Let me just tell you, I was uh, this earlier on this week, I was at the Space uh, Science Board uh, meeting in uh, Washington at the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, we were, among other things, celebrating 30 years of advisory work on the Space Science Board, and much of our advice has not been taken. We didn't emphasize that in the celebration. <laughs> but in terms of planetary exploration, there's really no, no comparison between the effectiveness and economy of doing uh, investigations by unmanned methods by uh, what some, uh, some people call those uh, robotic methods. I think that gives a somewhat false impression. Actually, a, uh, a spacecraft such as Pioneer 10 or, say, one of the Voyagers uh, has received over its lifetime hundreds of thousands of commands sent from the Earth. It has acknowledged these commands, executed them. So these, we have these spacecraft under human control essentially at all times, and uh, this is the mode which uh, has been shown to be effective and efficient. The uh, possibility of manned missions to Mars is sort of commonly mentioned these days and uh, is more or less in the realm of, uh, still in the realm of science fiction as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, not that it's impossible, but it's just so enormously uh, expensive. We're, we're talking there about something no one knows how to do yet, first of all, although it is visualized as being possible in principle, and I agree with that. Uh, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars and even that is probably a very low estimate, so that there's no comparison at the present time between the two modes of operation. Thank you, Doctor. Um, given your opinion on a manned mission to Mars, what would you um, think of the um, suggested space station that NASA is sort of trying to <laughs> develop? Well, I, I've written a number of very negative uh, uh, assessments of the space station as an enterprise for the nation to undertake at this time, and I stand on those negative assessments. The, uh, the estimated cost of uh, even the so-called initial operating capabilities is about $30 billion. That is probably a low estimate, maybe a good deal more. Uh, the, uh, the purposes of the space station are so ill-defined, they're almost laughable at the present time for an expenditure of that magnitude. In space exploration, I was thinking you might know something about, since the Challenger crashed, I read a great deal about reallocation of money in NASA towards unmanned missions. You just mentioned about Mars, uh, the fact that it's more viable to use an unmanned than manned. Yes. Um, how is, what's actually happened? Do you have any idea uh, about whether unmanned missions are going to become more common and more uh, trusted than they have been in the past? because of the problems I, the I missed one word there. Will they be more trusted, did you say? Yeah, well, oh. we've always, since with the Challenger, we have pretty much thrown all the money into trying to make space exploration uh, done by human beings with uh, using the, that particular spacecraft. And now, with there be some doubts about the usefulness of that. Well, uh, it's a very controversial subject, as, I, as you indicate yourself. And, uh, of course, I, I come down very heavily on the side of the, of the fact, which I think is a clear fact, 
that the use of unmanned, uh, first of all, unmanned expendable launch vehicles, and secondly, unmanned, commandable, controllable spacecraft are far and away the most effective and cost-effective and effective ways to do exploration of space. Now, this does not satisfy the, uh, the, the general craving that many people have, and I share in, of what you might call the adventuresome, the, the vicarious uh, adventure that one associates with having fellow human beings flying under very difficult and hazardous conditions. But I, I can't believe that that latter uh, uh, belief can dominate very long against the realities of the, of the uh, true physical situation. Thanks you very much. Thank you very much.